What's up, Gumbo listeners? Demetrius here, dropping episode number 103 for you today. I have Ayana Miller, Privacy and Data Protection Advisor, on the show today. And Ayana is an experienced engineering manager and technical advisor on privacy and data protection. She has built and managed in-house privacy and compliance programs at Facebook, Snapchat, and Pinterest. So all of the names. So Gumbo listeners, Ayana lays down the law on all things privacy, compliance, and all of those alphabet soup regulations that we love to hate including GDPR, CCPA, SOX, PCI, and more. So you are in for a great show, and let's get right into the episode. Welcome to the gumbo, Ayana. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. All right. Let's jump right into the questions. Um, It's definitely a pleasure to have you on the gumbo again, and I am really looking forward to your insight today. So let's start off with a little bit about some of the compliance and regulation stuff like GDPR and CCPA. Now, where are we with GDPR and CCPA today? And what are the differences between the two? And what's next with that legislation? Yeah, yeah. So GDPR is is uh, the the leader in uh, the regulatory space. It's now um, older than three years now, uh, which is we've moved beyond the state when we first talked uh, to a place of implementation and maturity. We're seeing uh, across the industry uh, and. For me in particular, uh, in the social media space, just a lot of discussion, good discussion, relevant discussion about data deletion, looking at who we're sharing data with, third parties, external data sharing, fine-grained access control, so who has access to data inside a company, outside the company, doing auditing to understand uh, what what obligations that companies outside that you share with have for data, mm-hmm. um, so things like auditing. Uh, so. The industry is is emerging, and then, as you mentioned, CCPA has now come up uh, and is now uh, in force, and it's setting the tone for state legislation. We've now seen most recently that Virginia has passed uh, similar legislation around privacy, and so hopefully this is just the beginning and uh, sets the stage for what we'll hopefully we'll see in the future for a federal privacy legislation. That's what I'm looking forward to. And so you, you said Virginia just recently passed legislation? That's correct. I didn't know about that. And is is it similar to, I guess, CCPA and GDPR as well? It is very similar. Yeah. Yeah. To CCPA. You can tell that there was a lot of inspiration um, from Mm -hmm. California and the bill that they put forth. Okay. Well, great. Also, let's let's talk a little bit about a technical compliance program. And especially for the Gumbo listeners, I would like, I guess, to see exactly what the steps are that Gumbo listeners can maybe implement to build a technical compliance program across their organizations? It's a great question. Um, I would say, you know, to start with, you can't boil the ocean. A a lot of the companies that I've I've been with started as startups. That's obviously the the easiest way to start uh, is from the beginning with with nothing Mm -hmm. and figure out what what you're going to build, what compliance uh, and data handling uh, regimes apply. Uh, so if you're in healthcare space, there's there's regulations that uh, rule and that you want to make sure you follow. Um, and I say you start there. You stay. You start with your 
principles and values as a company and you align that with external regulatory uh, questions. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I wouldn't boil the ocean. You don't want to take on too much at one time, even if you have your principles that guide you and guide your work internally and, and guide your mm-hmm. own ethical practice and standards. Uh, I think that the main thing is to just start with where you are and where you know that there are frameworks in place. So if you're collecting payments, for, in, for instance, PCI is something you probably want to look at for the payments mm, card industry right, right. Uh, standards. Um, if you are going to go public at some point, you'll socks will be in scope, Sarbanes Oxley, um, and you know around financial data handling. Right. And so I would say start there. Start with with what's required. If you're going to handle user data, privacy is is most likely going to touch everyone's organization. And there's a lot of guidance out there around controls for everything from data access, the data use, what we were talking about prior with, with you know, um, looking at GDPR in the space. So start your program with those building blocks. Um, you don't need a bunch of engineers to get started. There's a lot more tooling now that's available that you can get off the shelf. Um, you can also build a lot of it um, into your standard uh, websites now. Things like cookies come almost uh, by default with, with many websites. And, and so they help you and you can you know, update the language if you want. But uh, compliance should be easy. Uh, it should be something hmm, it that should be. <laughs> you, you get you get for free uh, when you think when you're thinking about your developer environment. And so, yeah, I say that's the place to start. And then once you have those basics and fundamentals, that's when you can refer again to your principles and say, well, where do we want to be? Do we want to be a leader? Mm-hmm. Do we want to be out front? Do we want to do things that are cutting edge and advanced around, you know, data deletion, data access, controls, automation, monitoring, auditing. Do we want to proactively ask regulators or ask a third-party auditor to to come and validate our program? And that's on the track to a more mature and advanced organization. Um, But like I said, you you start at the beginning. Start with what what you know and what data you have and then build from there. Okay, so you mentioned that there are some tools that you can use just right out of the box. Like what, what are some of those tools? Because it's kind of a new space for me and I primarily sit on the backup and recovery side of the house and storage. Data privacy and cybersecurity and protecting data is, is a little new to me. So there, there's a lot of things that I can learn from this session. So maybe maybe school me a little bit on, I guess, wh- what are some of the tools that, you know, maybe a smaller company who, who are j- just getting started you know, with some of the privacy and regulations um, that, that that they need to implement moving forward? Yeah. So one of the things I would, would recommend is for any business that's scaling, you're probably working with third parties who also have compliance obligations. Oh. And so one okay. example, you know, you mentioned uh, backup. And if you're thinking about things like disaster recovery, a lot of people are using a cloud service provider now um, for their data. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you're using, you know, AWS or you're using Google Google uh, GCS, like it, do, it doesn't matter. Um, it, they have certain things built in for compliance purposes. They, you can set the retention, um, you can control access to the data. So using the permission sets that they have available, um, same thing, Microsoft, Redshift, Azure, like kind of choosing your, your provider and looking to them and the tools that they offer. I think that's one example in the cloud space. Um, but that's increasingly becoming the case across the board. As I mentioned, like if you're set, if you're setting up a website, uh, things like cookies, uh, setting up your privacy policy, those are things that are low hanging fruit um, that you can implement um, until you're able to, you know, 
purchase something that's more advanced that will help you scale, get to the next level. Okay. And I guess that's, you know, when I go to a website now, there's a pop-up at the bot at the bottom that says, you know, accept the cookies, decline the cookies, and it gives more information about here's what here's the type of data that I'm going to collect on you. So that's a result of GDPR and CCPA and I guess some of the other regulations, right? Yes, yes. Uh, there's something called the EU Cookie Directive uh, that has really changed uh, the way we think about cookies and uh, making them more granular so that when you, uh, you're you actually act- actively opting out uh, or opting in, I should say, to uh, an experience with, with cookie collection um, and being explicit like, no, I only want you to use cookies for performance purposes and not the cookies for personalization. Don't serve me ads based on content I've seen in other places, on other sites, on other things I've clicked, um, other things I've shared. Mm -hmm. And so um, really personalizing your privacy experience. That's what the cookie uh, and EU cookie directive uh, seeks to do and things like the the cookie consent you see on websites. And just because this is data protection gumbo doesn't mean we're talking about food, everyone. (laughs) Cookies. We're not talking about physical cookies in case in case you you may or may not know, but but a cookie is, I guess, some type of tracking mechanism. When you click on a website, it stores that information, uh, your information as to maybe your IP address. I don't know exactly how it works, but I know it, it deals with tracking you because when you return back to that website, then there's information that it knows. OK, they've been here before. Yeah, I like to describe it as a little file that uh a website or any property really can can keep on you uh, to uniquely identify you and say, hey, you had this experience. Maybe okay. you logged in. We're going to remember that in a cookie. Or the last time you were here, you said you wanted the screen to be blue. We're going to remember that in a cookie. So there's lots mm. of, um, like I said, nice personalization things that you can get from cookies. Uh, you know, this person likes this type of advertisement. We're, we're going to make sure we show them that. Or they told us they don't like that type of advertisement advertisement. We're not going to show them that anymore. The cookies are remembering those type of things. Um, the thing to remember in all of this space, like you said, data protection and data governance uh, is closely followed is just what are the rules around that? Yeah. What is What makes sense uh, as far as persisting that, that data within that cookie? How long sh- is reasonable? Um, should it last for 30 days? Is it a year? Is it two years? It really should be dependent on you know the type of site it is, how often you're going to that site, and then also additional protection. So you as a user always being able to opt out, um, tell the site, hey, look, actually, I want you to clear all of my cookies. I want to start fresh. Um, so the more options you have, the more flexible it is for you to say, keep this, don't keep that, the better off we are. And so that's definitely where we're headed with things like the EU okay. Cookie Directive. Great. Now, what is one of the most challenging aspects of managing a governance, compliance and risk program for, you know, other leaders out there? And what do you recommend to make it easier and more efficient for them? So for me, the hardest thing uh, has been metrics uh, and showing the value of governance, risk and compliance. Is that tracking the metrics or tracking the metrics? Being able to show the cost benefit analysis uh, okay. in other spaces, you know, we, we talked about uh, disaster recovery or governance uh, efficiency efforts. You can show cost savings. Um, you can measure that in terms of data uh, that is recovered or data that uh, we're able to delete and no longer need. So there's no processing for that data. With governance and risk, okay. we're talking about the likelihood of something not happening or something happening. 
And it's more difficult to measure if we know news is good news. And so, uh, you know, if you're operating a program and it's keep the lights on, how you justify additional resources, an additional engineer, uh, an additional program manager, an additional audit, uh, if nothing bad has happened. Um, and so just trying to get that narrative uh, tight, uh, trying to show the value that the, that the program brings, um, that's, that's going to continue to be a challenge. Um, I think, again, we're getting better in the space about looking at things to measure and thinking about like things like GRC tooling that can help you track over time um, your risk and risk reduction. Um, but that's still mere substitute yeah, to being able to have quantitative type of results. Okay. And you, you mentioned Sarbanes-Oxley a little earlier in, in the conversation. Now, is Sarbanes-Oxley, SOX, is that still a relevant regulation? And, and if so, you know, what are some of the tools or methods that companies can use to, to comply with that? Because just a quick story from my perspective, I, I, I used to work for Bank One in Columbus, Ohio, and I was a part of a, an investigation. I was the backup guy, so I had to recover email. And I learned a lot about just that, you know, recovery process and how serious and critical it is um, to collect the data and back it up in a certain fashion, store it on a certain type of media, keep it for a certain length of time, et cetera. And um, it's actually, you know, a felony or an offense that you can actually get prison time if you're not complying with something like Sarbanes-Oxley because it's primarily a financial services uh, industry geared regulation. So is, is it still relevant? I don't hear a lot about it these days because it was um, introduced in 2002, I think. It is still very relevant, uh, especially in, in Silicon Valley uh, for companies that are going from early stage valuations to public companies in a matter of eight to 10 years. That track of getting SOX compliant can be be challenging. It's a different set of expectations um, to go from you know playing ping pong in somebody's garage to now being responsible for financial data, reporting metrics, stakeholders, um, and making sure that there's that there's quality for the metrics and integrity around the data. Um, so the tools you, you mentioned, you know, what tools are, are helpful, what methods. Um, I, I think for any company that is startup stage, early stage that's looking at going public and will have um, SOX compliance requirements, get external help. Um, I, I would say, you know, that's where you want to spend. You want to probably splurge on getting uh, qualified experience consultants to help you build out uh, a specific response for your controls based on your environment, your data environment. Cause you don't want to, you could easily bring more stuff in scope uh, for a SOX program just because you want to be careful uh, and you know you don't want to miss anything to your point there's serious um, repercussions for not uh, complying um, but at the same time it's a big obligation so getting some experience help to help you really scope it down and make sure the controls you have operate effectively um, and are designed appropriately that's the best way to go that's the best piece of <laughs> advice I can give yeah so, so you're saying you can't ignore it you cannot <laughs> oh yeah we're, we're gonna save you know hundred and fifty thousand dollars this year because we socks whatever I, I wear socks every day so <laughs> definitely not gonna worry about you know some some regulations so I would recommend you not do that if you are a startup company a small company and you 
you know, wanting to go public soon. Let, let's shift a little bit to the pandemic. And, you know, there's a few vac- vaccines that are out there um, right now, but we seem to be at the tail end of, you know, vaccinations and, you know, not vaccinations, but COVID-19. And given, you know, COVID-19 tracing apps, which I'm, I'm a little biased on, on the tracing, tracing apps um, and, and why that's appropriate or why it's not appropriate. What, what are some of the, I guess, some of the other surveillance mechanisms that they put in place to actually, you know, track us via, via our mobile devices, et cetera? Um, what, what privacy topics do you foresee being relevant, let's say in the next, you know, two to three to five years? Yeah. So I, I definitely do think that uh, COVID-19 and the interplay between the private and public sector on mm-hmm. jumping on the issue, understanding how to track metrics around how many people were contracting uh, the virus and uh, moving on from moving from like pandemic situation to problem solving. Uh, it opened mm-hmm. a floodgate um, of privacy concerns. Uh, whenever we okay. have that type of environment, we want to you know decrease. We decrease our our um, our barriers to entry, and we say yes. Like I opt in to, to sharing this type of information for the the benefit of everyone else. Um, there's a that, that's that's trade off. Yeah, uh, you lose privacy, uh, but you you know you understand that you're doing it for the betterment of, of your community. That is a shift from what we've seen in the past. Uh, I think we where it had been primed recently through things like, you know, Ubers and Lyfts to share a location and to, again, reduce those barriers. Um, and so I feel like COVID was just another step of that. Um, what, what does that mean? It means, you know, that data is shared with the government and it's being collected by Apple. It's being collected by Google um, under the auspices of COVID-19 and helping us all improve. But how long does that last? Uh, there's, there's no perfect end date. Um, and so I think we'll have this lingering um, environment where we think it's appropriate to share location data, where we think it's appropriate for other people and maybe an obligation to share other data. Um, I don't think that's going anywhere. I think we're, we're shifting to a place where we see now this friction of legislation, especially in Europe, where they're saying, look, the rights of your data are personal um, and you should have a right to access, edit it, but also now coming up against share more uh, and you have like almost obligated to share more. Um, And so I think we'll probably see more surveillance, um, more cameras, uh, especially in public spaces. I don't think that's going anywhere, especially with drones and the technology um, that we, we have today, facial recognition, um, I think you, you know, put that with other political events, uh, regardless of where you stand, things like Black Lives Matter protests and being able to identify people in public spaces, um, that the that's going to continue to grow. Um, I don't see that slowing down. And if anything, it will probably propel federal legislation around privacy sooner and co- make carve outs for for the government. Um, and local, state, federal uh, for exceptions for how they uh, collect information. We've seen it before with the FISA courts uh, and as we were you know, doing wiretapping under the auspices of the war on terrorism and helping us be safe. So I think this is this is just another iteration of that. Mm, OK, yeah, that's a whole that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> Diving into, you know, the, some of the real reasons behind, 
you know, some of the technology that's being implemented in, you know, artificial intelligence. And, you know, we have quantum computers now that can crunch numbers, you know, at the snap of a button. Now, as far as moving on to maybe just an overall data protection gumbo, pure data question here. Now, do, do you have any recommendations on cost cutting measures, you know, as it pertains to protecting data and also keeping corporate data private and more secure? That's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> it is. Uh, no, I do not have a silver bullet for, for cost cutting. Um, what I what I will say is there are if you start early uh, and thinking about ways to streamline your compliance regimes. Um, so, for instance, right now I'm very focused on common controls. So, what is the standard framework? Mm-hmm. What is the foundational things, as I mentioned, like principles? Um, if you th- look at ISO or you look at NIST, that cut across all of your different programs: security, SOCs, uh, privacy, data governance. OFAC, export controls, all these things. Um, what are the common sets of things that you care about? Access to data, mm-hmm. protection of data, security, um, understanding how long it should be retained. Do you need backups? Those are things that multiple organizations and departments within a company care about. Um, aligning on that, making sure that even if your end results are different, the things that you want to achieve or the report you need to write um, for a regulator is different. If you can align on some common principles and make sure the activities are running in sync and aligned, uh, that's going to get you a lot of goodwill with all the stakeholders that you're asking to deliver evidence. That's going to help with the auditors who are going to come in and feel like you've got things aligned and working according to your organization, as opposed to just check the box. Um, And it's going to make your executives happy because they know that they can check once and verify once uh, as opposed to having to do it a, a bunch yeah, of different times yeah. for each program. Um, so that's going to, that's going to win. It's a win-win for everybody. Okay. Well, th- this has been awesome. And I, I know I'm working myself backwards here. I like to work backwards sometimes. And, you know, so h- how did you get started into, you know, this whole privacy industry, et cetera. You know, what, what was your start? What attracted you to the industry? And, you know, maybe you can, you can share, you know, some of, some of the nuggets of, um, of information and in, in the path that you went down with, with our audience in case they're interested. Yeah. So fell into it by accident. Uh, I was a government major undergrad in uh, public policy and management uh, for grad school and uh, worked at a systems engineering company, a research and development center. And I was a generalist working for the federal government uh, consulting, and I knew I wanted to specialize in something. Uh, and I started on a project in privacy, and uh, it was right around the time of the Edward Snowden revelations. And for me, something just clicked. Uh, I knew I didn't want to be like a white hat ethical hacker. Uh, I, I thought that security was important and knew it was important, but I was more interested in the data and the conversation about the philosophy of like who's protecting data, who's thinking about data and the value of it. Um, right. I always give the analogy, you know, there's a house. And if you think about a house and the stuff you store in it, uh, security is concerned about whether there's locks on the door and whether the windows are, have locks and are closed. Privacy is interested in what's in the house. Do you have valuables, you know, or right. are there jewels? Insurance. Yeah, yeah. So um, I love that conversation. Um, and so, yeah, my, my career from there was just about becoming understanding the policies um, 
and pairing that with the technologies mm-hmm. that we see developing today. Um, and that landed me in tech uh, and social media tech um, in particular. And so I just have been continuing to enjoy that journey. Um, the other thing I'll say for anybody who's looking at this career space is that it's definitely applicable uh, across industries. So if you're in a different industry and you have an interest in privacy, mm-hmm. go for it. It's very, um, it's very, um, I don't want to say easy, but it's attractive and um, compelling to read about privacy policy take it up and apply it in a lot of different yeah. industries and in a lot of different circumstances. You're hearing about it everywhere. And so if you even have an inkling that it might be something you want to do, I would say just read, learn more because it's, it's definitely going to, it's not going anywhere and it's applicable. Everywhere. You, you have any book recommendations or maybe certifications yeah, yeah. That, that they should look at? Yeah. So uh, the International Association of Privacy Professionals, they have a series of books, uh, lectures, series, trainings, uh, and certifications. Okay. Uh, International Association of Privacy Professionals, IEPP.com. All right. And rolling into the the closing gumbo question, you know, you've already provided some wonderful advice here, but I also want to ask what advice would you give to professionals who, you know, maybe, maybe out of work right now? And they're looking to pivot and maybe shift into, you know, data protection and data privacy. What advice would would you give to them right now? I would say definitely network. Think about, read, uh, check out IEPP, network with people who are in the space. As I mentioned before, like there's just lots of connections, regardless of where you are, engineering, legal, compliance, uh, data, software developers, like you you can enter into the space from any number of angles. Uh, and so I would just say, get connected to the people who are there. Uh, they tend to be very friendly uh, and willing to offer their time and expertise to, to help folks. Um, and yeah, that's that's probably the, the best way to get plugged in. Okay, yeah, you mentioned networking and, you know, we just did a live stream webinar on, you know, how to, how to find a job in the tech space, uh, particularly the backup and recovery industry. But the insights that we provided, so I had what four people on, including myself, and the number one key that was mentioned was networking and leveraging LinkedIn to determine, you know, who do you know in your network that can actually help you get that next job? Because most of the time, jobs aren't even posted yet. So if you network with someone and have that conversation with them, then you may find out about a position that might be opening up you know in a month or so from now and then you already have you know that advantage so um yeah i I appreciate you you know sharing your insight there uh it's always a pleasure to have you on the gumbo i am always fascinated by uh your trajectory your experience and how you you know got into the tech space etc and where you are right now professionally so thank you again for coming on the gumbo ayana thank you for having me It's, it's been my pleasure Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.